Today is Friday, January 22nd. The title for our devotional is Applying Romans 14. This entire week, we've been trying to get to the bottom of the situation in Rome that sparked the writing of this letter, as well as trying to get at what Paul is saying here in all of its beautiful complexity. Sometimes, when we study scripture, the application is obvious and even provided for us, as it is in the imperatives of chapter 12. This one is a bit more difficult, because today we simply don't face the same issues that they were facing in the first century Roman house churches. Yet, the teaching here and Paul's reasoning for his conclusions are broadly applicable today. We must, however, be careful not to inappropriately apply these conclusions to our context today. That's why we spent so much time going through the original context this week. So although there are not exact comparisons to today, there are some similar situations. First one is Sabbath observance. There are streams of Christian teaching today, more popular in past generations, that frown upon Christians doing any work or play on Sundays. In a conversation with my friend Chuck Beckler about this, he told me that when he was a young man, he would get in serious trouble for playing catch in the backyard on a Sunday because Sunday was to be a day for church and rest. It was the Sabbath day. This one seems strange to me since Paul most likely has Sabbath regulations in mind here in Romans 14. So, Paul's message would likely be that everyone should be convinced in their own mind what they are going to do on the Sabbath day. Feel free to practice it if it aids you in your worship of God. If it doesn't, you're not obligated to practice it. If your conscience convicts you of mowing the lawn on Sunday, don't do it. If it doesn't, go ahead. Alcohol consumption is another example. This is another step removed even from the Sabbath example, but I think some of the principles still apply. The Bible nowhere tells Christians that they cannot consume alcohol. It does say Christians are not to be drunk, but drinking alcohol without getting to the point of intoxication is appropriate for Christians. It is within the realm of Christian freedom. For some, particularly those who have grown up in a more restricted church culture, consuming any alcohol will activate your conscience. For you then, it is sin. This is where I was when I first came to faith in Jesus. I felt convicted about drinking any alcohol, so I decided to abstain. Over the course of a few years, however, my conscience didn't bother me at all anymore about having a drink. So now I'm free to have a drink, fully embracing the freedom that I have in Jesus. However, applying this principle again, I try my best to be aware of anyone who I may be influencing by me having a drink. If I am in an environment where I know someone's conscience convicts them, not allowing them to drink alcohol, I will willingly refrain and not put them in an uncomfortable position, or worse, cause them to sin or excuse their sin. Third, there are some practices of high church denominations that I think may fall in this category. If you grew up in a high church like Roman Catholicism or Lutheranism or an Anglican church, there may be some practices that you've developed that are just hard for you to let go of. Things like infant baptism, confession, saying certain prayers at certain times of the day, to name a few. 
If you have fully placed your faith and your trust in Jesus for your salvation, and you are not trusting in these practices for salvation, which you need to be very sure that you are not, then perhaps you may find some of these practices helpful for your faith. To those, I think Paul would also say that you are free to practice them, and others should not pass judgment or despise you for those practices. That said, there, there are a few general principles that we can take from these teachings. One is be very aware of self-righteousness. The allure of self-righteousness will tear church families apart. The seed of thought that says, I'm a better Christian than so-and-so because I do this or I don't do this, is poison to our spiritual life leaving us dangerously close to trusting in our actions for our salvation rather than the finished work of Christ on the cross. And this is also destructive to our community life. Paul warns us that this goes both ways. The one who abstains from eating meat can boast of their holiness and self-sacrifice. The one who partakes can boast of their freedom in Christ and their strong faith. Both are sin. Second, be willing to lay aside your own rights and privileges for the benefit of your brothers and sisters in Christ. If taking advantage of the freedom we have in Christ causes another to sin, we should willingly restrict our freedom out of love and concern for others. This is what love looks like. This Paul will say directly in chapter 15, which we will cover next week. Third, beware of legalism. Requiring others to follow our personal convictions in disputable matters is absolutely prohibited. Paul makes this abundantly clear here. We have great freedom in Christ, and each Christian must seek the Holy Spirit and listen to his guidance in these matters. This is certainly not the clear communication approach, but it is right according to Scripture. How easy would it have been for Paul to just say, do this or that? Instead, he spends an entire chapter exploring the nuances of the situation. We must, however, be aware of what constitutes essential doctrine and ethics and what constitutes a disputable matter like this. Paul treats the essential matters of the faith very differently in Galatians. He also calls us to conform to ethical behaviors. These things, these matters of opinion, he leaves more room for disagreement. Fourth, show grace for one another's differences. Unity in the church is really important, yet we often seem to undermine it and enjoy the constant bickering with one another. Your culture, your family of origin, your religious expression of your childhood have left you with a lot of assumptions about how Christianity is to be practiced. For the church to get along, we must give grace for many of these differences. In concluding this fascinating chapter, this is the teaching that allowed the gospel of Jesus to be the most diverse movement in the history of the world. That's a powerful statement, but I think it's true. The gospel can be applied to any and every cultural expression. This is absolutely amazing when we think about it, and it is precisely the point of the book of Romans. The gospel is for everyone. For this to work then, the former practices that distinguish the people of God from the rest of the world, 
that is the dietary laws, Sabbath laws, and things like circumcision, must no longer be mandated for all of God's people. We, therefore, must constantly examine, re-examine, and re-examine again our practices in our niche of the Christian community. If someone from another culture doesn't practice this, are they sinning? Is this expression of the gospel necessary for salvation? Is our form of doing church mandated by scripture? I would posit that most of our arguments across denominations and within individual churches fall into this category rather than in any essential doctrine. This is a sad phenomenon in the church since Paul and the original apostles worked tirelessly to keep the church unified, even in the midst of these rather important, religiously informed matters. Saying circumcision, the food laws, and Sabbath laws were obsolete was a major theological move for the first century Jewish Christians. It's not hard to imagine the difficulty of abandoning a practice that, had, that you had committed to your entire life. Yet, Paul calls them to unity in the midst of this. Since this devotional is already about 10 minutes long, I think I'm just going to leave it there and not have any additional content for today. I hope throughout this week you've had time to reflect on some very important questions. How important is the unity of the church to you? Do you tend to be so dogmatic about non-essential things that you have pushed other Christians away? Have you limited your personal Christian freedom for the benefit of others. Let's commit to not putting any stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister in Christ. Let's commit to love being the basis of our ethic and our relationships. <laughs>